Did you ever hear the story about Ken Belson and what was the name of the great dancers at the Capitol Theater and who was the man who uh, who was the choreographer? Our champion? No, no. Another great name. Gee, I hope somebody will tell me. Nevertheless, what happened was this. There was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Simmons. Uh, some people, because he sort of a motherly type, a very nice man, and they used to call him Ma Simmons, and he was the casting director <laughs> for the Schubert Theater. For the Schubert uh, musical comedies, anything. And he was really a delightful man, no two ways about it. Why didn't they call him Papa? I don't know, just uh, they had an affection for the man. So nevertheless, there was a call on Saturday. Now, Bilson ran scared. Bilson was a guy who was hungry. He was working for Western Electric, and as I told you, I went to his farewell party. I was mm-hmm. the surprise guest out there, and the guy had tears when he saw me walk in. They had a big, big affair for him. Don Bain went out with mm-hmm. me, too, out in Whippany, New Jersey, when he retired. So he always had the ambition, but... He ran a little scared. Maybe he was right, because today he's retired, living in Florida or someplace, and he hasn't got a care in the world, so maybe he's better off. Nevertheless, this is a a hot Saturday afternoon, and there's a call at the Schubert Theater for chorus people. And uh, he really was hungry for show business. And I said, you want to go over with me? And uh, he did. He wouldn't get in the line or anything like that. And I did a time step and a break or something like that. (laughs) And Mr. Schubert uh, pointed to me and they got my name and uh, another fellow, too. This was not for the course. This was for something special, which I had no idea what it was. So there's another call next Wednesday. In the meantime, Mr. Schubert... Uh, not Mr. Schubert, uh, Mr. Simmons, said to me and this other fella, I want you to go over... Oh, I can't think of their name. They, were, they used to be in where the Ed Sullivan Theater is today on the second floor. And uh, he said, I want you to go over this afternoon about 2 o'clock and the two of you in this particular musical comedy play, I have no idea what it was, uh, you are going to do some ballet in the devil's costume. <laughs> well, of course, I knew nothing about a ballet. This was not for me at all. Well, as we left the theater, the other guy said, I don't know anything about ballet. I said, I don't. Chester Hale, Chester Hale. You remember the Chester Hale girls? Oh, man alive. That was one of the big, big. Just drew a blank from both of us. Choreographers. He was great. The Chester Hill girls. So, this guy backed up. He didn't know ballet. I didn't either, but I wasn't going to admit it. Really <laughs> well, I'm willing to try. Guys, so let's take the first course of Swan Lake. Here, you got over there in the glasses. I want you to. <laughs> so, we went over to. And we're in our shirt sleeves and parasolacs, and so we got over there, and there's somebody thumping away on the piano, and the girls are in the rehearsal clothes, and they're doing these numbers and these routines for next week at the Capitol Theater. So uh, Mr. Hale blew his whistle or something to stop the rehearsal, and the girls plunk on the floor and just sit there. And he says, yes, may I help you? And of course... I'm the talker. Now, the other guy didn't go with me. So I said to Ken Bilson, who was about my height and about my build, I said, you come with me. I don't know ballet. 
and I know uh, you know you know some of the steps off the Buffalo time step break and a few other things and a hill famous ballet steps yeah <laughs> so uh, Chester Hale was a very nice guy instead of Nuren Yap doing an off the Buffalo <laughs> he said to me break. he said uh, do you want uh, do you have uh, rehearsal clothes I said no he said have you got shorts on I said yeah he says go in there and take off your uh, clothes and come out here just in your shorts it's all right and of course that was nothing embarrassing to me so we went back and of course i'm off with my trousers no time flat left my socks on and my shoes <laughs> and bilson is is a slow undresser or dresser all of a sudden, he is, he is now doing, I, I don't know any of the names of ballet steps, but he is going up in the air and coming down. He says, try that. Well, I was up in the air, and I didn't come down with any grace. He said, you can make it. He, he called me right away by my first name, Jack. you can't miss. All of a sudden, I heard a tremendous amount of laughter. Now, if it came from my uh, uh, retarded ballet knowledge, uh, I could have understood it. But what happens, it is Bilson. Now, Bilson is a slow guy with a buck. He hasn't got shorts. <laughs> he is still wearing winter, winter trousers, uh, uh, winter under underwear, underwear. With the, you know, with the, with the back on the back, back, yeah, back, yeah, back, yeah. back. And as he walks across the floor, it sounded like a bomb had dropped. A button came off. And you hear this button bouncing across the floor. Well, to make a long story short, uh, Bilson ran out when he realized he, he didn't even think about the fact that he had long underwear on. The girls said, oh, cheering the boy. It was just such a funny sight. And uh, he asked me to come back, I don't know, Wednesday, and they're going to get another guy and I'd have the part. And uh, I didn't. However... Why not? <laughs> About, oh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I told this on the story, and I was absolutely thrilled. I got a letter from Chester Hale, now retired. And in his last paragraph, he said, if you want to come up Wednesday, you can try again. <laughs> <I'm trying. laughs> That's beautiful. Lovely. Yes. Just we're doing copia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Candy Jones was, uh, Jones was in Polonaise and Mexican Hayride. Oh, sure. But she wasn't in uh, staying at the Kermack Hotel. Well, see, we were in the seedier end of so show business, uh, the sweaty end. I... Uh, <laughs> I, I'll never forget one night, you know, John mentioning that whole thing of the of the guy coming out doing the ballet in his long underwear. I was in a I was in a Broadway show, Candy, and I'll never forget the bit that I did. It was a very complex review. Had about fifty costume changes. And they were one minute blackout things, like thirty second blackouts was produced by Leonard Selman. New Faces? Well, this was one of the New Faces. In fact, this was New Faces of 1961, as a matter of fact. We opened at the O'Keefe Theater in Toronto. It's a great, big, fantastic house, 4,000 people. And I had drawn a very curious assignment. I did a one-minute blackout where I sang... But I was wheeled out on the stage. They had a they had a cable, so it was in the dark. And they pulled this thing out. Well, I was on a little platform that was painted gold. Little low platform with little tiny wheels under it. It was about uh, two feet by three feet. And coming out of the middle of it was a golden tree. And it was gold. And it had gold leaves above my head with a golden apple. Well, there I was under this tree. But I was dressed in a flesh-tight body costume. Body suit, yeah. Body suit, see. And it was, well, actually what it was was glorified long underwear, John. Yeah. But uh, very, very, uh, very tight. Very, very, and, and, and I was intertwined with this, this most unbelievably zoptic girl. Fantastic girl. 
I, I wish I could remember her name now. She was in the show, and she she uh, she was a classic showgirl. I mean, she looked like about 14 watermelons having a fight. <laughs> she was a lot of girl. And we were wheeled out, and suddenly the light would go on us. See, the people didn't know this. The light would go on us. We'd never done this bit yet in public. I was supposed to be Adam, and she was Eve. And she also was in a body costume with a, with a fig leaf. Well, I didn't have a fig I was supposed to be Adam. She was Eve, and she also was in a body costume with a with a fig leaf. Well, I didn't have a fig leaf, and so they pull us out there, and, and I remember we were backstage, we're getting on this thing, so we'd never seen it before because they just delivered it that afternoon, so we we've been rehearsing the bit, walking through it. See, so here, this first time we saw the cart. Well, the cart is about half the size it should have been. So there's only one way we can get on this cart together. The two of us, see, we're all intertwined. Fantastic scene. They pull us out like that, and the light goes on. This bright spotlight picks us up. And here we are in Toronto, 4,500 people. And you hear this gasp. <laughs> it was like a, a sudden, unbelievable obscenity has occurred on stage. <laughs> well, well, I started to sing, and the place is in an uproar. It was like it was the first true porny has hit. As hit the Broadway stage. <laughs> I mean, it, it preceded Old Calcutta, and made Old Calcutta look like a like a oral oral tooth hygiene pageant thing. And it pulled us out, and 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 she says, she I could hear her. See, she's sort of facing me, and her back is to the audience in this fantastic tight suit. And I am all intertwined, and the light goes on, and I start to sing. Well, the, the guy is in the orchestra pit directing the orchestra. We had about a 100-piece orchestra, and it was the same guy that had directed West Side Story. Very fine uh, conductor. His name is uh, Abba... Oh, I can't think of his last name. Abba something, but he was a top Broadway conductor. He gives the downbeat, and I was supposed to sing. See, I was supposed to sing this this song about Adam and the apple and the Eve and all that stuff. And at that point, he looks up and he sees this apparition. <laughs> I am wearing a pink bodysuit. Her bodysuit was a curious off-green color. We're under this gold tree, and it's it's it's, it's, it's an exercise in slob art for starters. <laughs> He gives it and starts to laugh. Well, at that point, the French horn player looks back, and he sees this scene. He starts to laugh, and I hear somebody, quick, 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 the curtain. They pull the curtain down. He's right. so that thing never appeared again in the show. <laughs> and, then, and nobody knows what the heck it was. See, so the, the, the reviewer that night, he says the funniest, he, he writes this review, see, but it was blasted hell out of the show. And, oh, I mean, this is an unbelievable turkey. So he blasts the show, but he says, he says, however, there was one bright moment. <laughs> this is an enigmatic skit when two people suddenly appeared on stage in what appeared to be a lewd embrace. <laughs> but when you, you know, and I, but when John tells me that story about the guy with the underwear, I keep thinking of that scene. And then there was another scene. You know, people never see the, the background of right, showbiz. Right. And here we are, we're out on the road, and desperately rehearsing all day long, all night long. It's about a $4 million show, you know. Oh, we have sets and costumes and everything else. And it was one incomprehensible skit where I played an Episcopalian bishop. And there were four of us on stage. One guy played a the Greek patriarch of a church. Another guy played a, a cardinal. And there was a guy playing uh, some high pole of an obscure church. And I remember being down in my dressing room that night. I could hear. They had a little monitor speaker. See, where we're, the, the show was going on. See, and I'm frantically trying to put on my bishop costume, which I had never seen before. Now, I don't know whether you know anything about it. It's got a dicky. Mm -hmm. You know, you've seen the mm -hmm. dicky thing. 
I'm trying to hook the dickie in the back. I have 12 seconds to change my costume. I'm changing from a caveman, by the way, into this, you know, this bishop costume. <laughs> and we were to sing this song. It was, it was, I remember it was a Gregorian chant we were singing. <laughs> this is a mad thing. And I'm putting on this bishop costume, and I can hear the footsteps of the guy that shared the dressing room. He's running like mad. He's just finished his bit, see? And he, I can hear him running like crazy. He's going to change his costume. Boop, 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 boop. I hear feet. He comes roaring into the dressing room, and he's wearing a funny little bib, you see, with a red rubber nose. <laughs> and he's laughing like hell. I says, Joey, what's the matter? Help me with my bishop suit. And he's putting my bishop suit. He says, Shepard. And I says, yeah, Joey. He says, we're in a turkey. <laughs> he said, my God, we're in a turkey. And I said, yeah, I know, Joey. And I ran back out. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember going out on stage, and, I, and, I, and we're singing this thing, and there were four of us under a light singing this song. And it was, it was something called the, it was, a, it was based on a Gregorian chant. And it was about the ecumenical council. <laughs> How's that for an obscure piece of humor, see? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, I believe in all the bishops. And then all of a sudden, the curtain comes down, right in the middle of all of us. <laughs> and the cardinal says, my God, get out of the way. It's going to kill all of us. <laughs> and the curtain comes down. <laughs> and that, the next day, the review came out, and he says, just in the nick of time, one unbelievably bad skit was stopped by an unfortunate miscue in the curtain department. So if it had gone on another 30 seconds, a riot might have broken out last night in the O'Keefe. <laughs> Beautiful. These are, these are real, you know. Oh, Chad, I'm dear. sorry. Sorry what? That those days are over? No, not at all. I'm, I'm just sorry that we got off on that curious... Uh... Oh, no, God. nothing wrong with that. That's good. Could That's I tell great. you one curious? Yes. I don't know. It I'd isn't anything your... such as your curiosity, but in Polonaise, which was a musical, um, the life of Chopin, Chopin yeah. right? Marvelous music. Marta Eggers and Jan Kiyopora. Oh. And I understand that uh, Jan Kiyopora Jr. is now singing. He's inherited his father's voice. Well, I played a stuttering princess, and I had a small part. It was a You part wore journals? Uh, hoop skirt. Hoop skirts. Huh? Yes. Right. There was one scene, with, it, as a matter of fact, with the journal. But there, <laughs> yeah. I was, as the princess, uh, Irene, and I wore platform sole shoes with heels about like this. is about four inches so that I was tottering six foot two or at least. And the, the comedian in the show was Kurt Bois. I don't know if you remember the name. B-O-I-S. Uh, maybe he was five foot four and at one point in the show he had to be on stage and you couldn't see him come on stage and the way he would come on stage would be he'd get under my hoop skirt uh -huh. and I'd kind of come out and I would do my thing and all this time he would be under my hoop skirt in the back except he was ill he had the flu and some the understudy for that part <laughs> was about five foot eleven. <laughs> Nobody ever thought about this. As he comes out. And so it was time, and I was so in the habit of. And these things were heavy, you know, the skirts. And when you would do a curtsy. We ought to tell the audience that Candy is now demonstrating. She's going into the second act of Polonaise now, scene two. Yes, go ahead. But the hoop skirts were very, very heavy, and they would hang up, and uh, every girl had a dresser, every girl who wore a yeah. costume such as this. And I would say they probably weighed about 30, 35 pounds. And when you would get down and come up, there would be a suction under the, the floor, and we all developed marvelous fine muscles. From. <laughs> but besides that, I would know that Kurt would be over there, and I'd just go over and lift my skirt up and yeah. get under. But I had never really thought about his understudy because the man had never been ill before. And this baritone got under the skirt. <laughs> and I'll never forget going out on stage and there was something wrong. And he'd never been under my skirt before, of course, which sounds weird. But anyway, to make a long Very story sorry. short. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we got out and um, 
it was a disastrous scene, and his feet were showing, I understand, and the audience seemed to be screaming with laughter, and he didn't know exactly how to walk under my skirt. And I never could figure, in fact, it wasn't until after that show that night that I wondered how Kurt did walk out. Well, I asked him later, he always walked out backwards. He's a very modest man. <laughs> I like that. That's but, style. Uh, <laughs> this fellow, I remember thinking, God, this uh, felt so strange. And he didn't know exactly what to do with himself underneath, the, under yeah. the back of the skirt. And that's the end of the story. Hey, well, that's, uh, that must have been a heck of a scene from the audience. So. It must have been. Well, I'll tell you, the, the things that happen in costume dramas like mm. that are wild. I I, uh, I remember one scene where, again, in that same show, this is all... Well, this We rehearsed this show. It was directed by Ronnie Graham. Oh, yes. And uh, we we uh, we rehearsed it for about, oh, it seemed like a year. And uh, we finally went out on the road, and, of course, all the costumes came together, and everything was fantastic confusion with the costumes and there was one sequence where I played a don't ask me why it was a one second black I can't even remember the scenes but I played a four star general <laughs> so I I, I I got the coat on and the lights are changing the cues are coming the curtain goes up there I am standing out there and I'm wearing a four star general uniform and the bottom half I hadn't gotten changed yet. And the lights went on, and they caught me, and I had half of a George Washington suit on. <laughs> there I was out there with, with shoes with buckles, <laughs> with these blue velvet pants, you know, with the high white. Now, don't ask me why I was dressed as George Washington. It's a whole other scene. And, and, and this was in New Haven, and, and I remember the critic in New Haven said, in one scene, Mr. Shepard's costume was an amazing amalgam. So that <laughs> he was wearing the bottom half of a Revolutionary War general and the top half of what looked like Curtis LeMay's suit. <laughs> and it was such a hit, they kept it in. <laughs> you know, the, this is my final little thing about, this was in Polonaise, too. What, there was one scene in which the palace had been... Uh, overtaken by the peasants and the, the revolution had come and they had killed everyone <clears throat> excuse me and I was supposed to have gone off stage we were all I was part of the family the royal family and we were all beheaded we had all been murdered and we were pulled off stage however the same hoop skirt caught on a prop. <laughs> and the men, and I, I'm tugging away, and I couldn't get off, and they were pulling me, and I couldn't get off. It was a matinee, thank goodness. And the next person to come on stage said, and now that they are all gone, and you can see me completely, I'm still on stage, and we're ripping the skirt as best we can. Well, the royal families don't give up easily. No, they didn't. You know, that... that when you're telling me the story of Polonaise, that reminds me of the kind of, of uh, the plot that you're describing. The peasants have attacked the palace. And the, mm -hmm. the princesses are throwing and then the poop skirts. Reminds me of the kind of thing that S.J. Perlman mm -hmm. would write when he's writing a typical schlock opera. <laughs> you know, That's right. <laughs> the life of Chopin. It somehow, you know, it has all the elements of that. Well, they popularized, of course, uh, <laughs> Chopin and uh, Till the End of Time. How did they handle uh, George Sand? Uh, she wasn't in it. I would imagine. I mean, she wasn't, you know, the whole... They didn't the, cover the that No, not at all. Reminds me of Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most beautiful titles I've ever heard. Did you see that? No, I did not. Oh, I, oh that is, Did you love that? Well, listen, I, I knew the beginning of that production. I, yeah. uh, In fact, I remember one night uh, Mel Brooks you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, in those days when I was doing all these reviews, and I used to hang around a lot with Mel and, and all those guys, and I knew Mel Brooks and Bancroft and the whole crowd. And this, by the way, he wrote this about a real producer, you know. You know oh, the character. I didn't know that. 
Well, uh, we were sitting one night, yeah, and and I knew the producer, too. I had worked for the same producer, so he and I had certain things in common. So we both knew this this evil man. And so <laughs> yeah, Mel said, one night we're sitting, we were in, in uh, the turf, as a matter of fact. You remember the turf? Yes, Shirley. So we're sitting in the turf, and there was a whole bunch of myself and Milton Kamen and and all the comics who were working at the time around town used to always hang around there, either that or we'd go to Lindy's. And uh, on this particular night, I was down there, and, uh, and uh, we were sitting there eating cheesecake, and and, uh, and I had just finished a, a hellish uh, session with this same producer, who, by the way, later turned out to be the character that Zero Mostel played. I'm telling you, this is a real character. So, and this is how it came up. I'm sitting there, and, I, and, 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 and I, we just had an unbelievably rotten rehearsal. This madman, this insane producer. And, and, and by the way, he's exactly the way uh, Mostel played it. Oh. I'm trying to tell you, that's a real yeah. character. So, right, I, I'm going to so, ask you later. Well, uh, when we get off the air. Right, so. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably listening right now. So, so I sat, I, I was sitting at the end of the table, so in comes Mel. Looking real mad. See, he, he, he's had a bad day, too, see, somewhere. And so Mel comes in there, and he was with uh, somebody else. And I don't know where Ann Bancroft was down the street in the show and the play. I think she was in, uh, what was she in at that time? I think the Miracle Night Worker at the mm-hmm. time. And so he sits down, and uh, <clears throat> he said something, and Milk came and said something, and it came around to me. Everybody was thrown in one-liners. And uh, I says, okay, I said, I'm going to tell you the uh, the... the I, I want to lay a, a real obscenity on you guys. And so Mel looks over at me. He says, oh, he says, listen, he says, I've seen them all today. You can't top anything. I said, all right, I'll give you an obscenity. C.L. Bullard. Uh, that's a nom de plume. See, I said, that's the name of the producer. He says, you're working for him? And I said, yeah. He says, I spent 12 years, the worst week in my life, working for him. <laughs> and I says, yes, indeed, I know what you mean. And he says, he says, you know, he says, one day I'm going to get back at that guy. He says, I'm going to write a show about him. He says, people won't believe it. They think it's fictional. I said, that's right, Mel. <laughs> he says, you know, he says, I'm going to have him producing a play called Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> he, says, and he says, he would please. He says, if I went in tonight and brought him a script that says, Springtime for Hitler, he'd say, great, Mel, let's put it on. <laughs> and so we're sitting there laughing, and, and, and we, we exchanged stories about this madman for about three hours. All of us had had, uh, you know, our moments with this guy. So about three or four years later, I'm walking along Lexington Avenue, and uh, this was in the 50s. It was about three in the morning, and I had just come out of the Waldorf. I don't know what the devil, some strange show that I'd emceed there, and I'm walking down the street, and along comes Mel and Ann Bancroft. And I says, Mel. And he says, you know, he's all, by this time he's been out on the coast all the time. See, and I says, Mel, what are you doing in New York? She wouldn't guess. I says, what, Mel? He says, I did it. He says, where'd you see it? He says, I just finished it. I says, what? He says, springtime for Hitler. <laughs> And sure enough, I, I when when the picture came out, you know, and I'm just curious how many people who watched that, who reviewed it, uh, I'm talking about serious reviewers in town who who had no idea, who, who didn't know that it was about a real guy. I never did. Oh yeah. In fact, this guy, seriously, this producer may identify. I won't. I won't. He made though. He made a career out of flops. <laughs> he discovered he could make more money with flops. And he had his aunt and his sister and his grandmother, everybody on the payroll, you know, and they had one flop after the other. And, uh, that was a great play. My don't mention Al Lotman's name. No. Sarah <laughs> no, will go after him, right? <laughs> but, uh, but Mel, uh, that, that, uh, that was a great period right there at that time because, you know, uh, in those days, uh, and that isn't that long ago, uh, all the people who were involved in humor or comic work of any kind at all used to hang around mostly on 7th Avenue. And uh, there was a drugstore at the corner of 50th and 7th. Hanson. Hanson. Hanson, yeah. And we used to all sit in that place. 
And uh, all kinds of guys, uh, some made it and some didn't. And uh, we, uh, of course, we were all working humor at the time, comedy, whatever you care to call it. And uh, people like uh, old Milk Kamen, uh, uh, this was uh, Sandy Barron used to come in there. And, and uh, of course, whatever was... happened to Sandy? Have they found him yet? <laughs> well, I heard, to, uh, I read in the paper that he's living in a, an apartment here in some friend's house or something. And, they well, he had, he wasn't killed. No, no. He like called that. his he called his agent today and said he's okay. He's in seclusion. So I think because of the breakup of the I don't know. He's just enigmatic. It's hard to know. But uh, uh, in fact, at that time, I got to know Lenny Bruce. Uh, I knew Lenny at the time. And, uh, there were a lot of people working in town uh, that you don't hear much about anyway. L.J. Burton. Yeah. Sure. Why, why do you why do you bring him up? Oh, I thought he was one of the funniest men I'd ever met. Yeah, I knew was him, a, uh, sort of. Comedy writer. I, I didn't know him because most of us were performers. And in fact, I was in a review at a, at a at a place called Down in the Depths. Do you recall that place? No, I don't. It was in the Hotel Duane. It was a nightclub, uh, 37th and uh, Madison. That's yeah, right. Yeah, sure. And it was a very chic place. It, it ran for... It was next to the Midston House. Correct. And, and and it was downstairs, and it was a very, very in place to go. And it was an elegant review there. Uh, good one. So we had a nice little review called Small Tacular. And it was a, a kind of a takeoff on... Uh, kind of a takeoff on, uh, on the... They used to have things on TV called Spectaculars. Remember when they had a Spectacular? Mm -hmm. And this was a takeoff on that. And and I, I was... Uh, Let's see who else was in that. Dorothy Love. Do you know the name Dorothy Love? Yes. Uh, Dorothy and I played a lot of scenes in that. I'll never forget. Uh, I still remember some of the lines of the scene Dorothy and I played. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny how these things good. stick in your mind. And a lot of the sketches uh, in that review were written by Woody Allen, who was not a performer in those days. He was just, you know, writing sketches. And uh, I remember that that one particular. Skit, uh, beautiful little skit that had appeared earlier on Broadway and was now in this production. You might have seen it. Uh, uh, I was sitting, I was a, a guy sitting at a coffee table, or a counter in a coffee uh, shop, mm -hmm. looking out at the audience and uh, just sitting there. And uh, the guy behind the counter, whose back is to the audience, he's wearing a white cap, you know, he's obviously the counter man he comes over and says what do you have and I said I'll have coffee black he says okay and he walks away and he comes back with a cup puts it down I'm looking out at the audience absolutely no expression and uh, suddenly a girl walks in and uh, nobody else was in this coffee shop just me and she walks in and sits next to me and looks out at the audience and of course, I notice her. I glance to the right, and I remember. I see automatically. I do it. See, I glance to my right, and she's looking at her prayers or something, and, and uh, paying no attention to me. And the guy comes up to her and says, "Excuse me, we just got to see the menu." She says, "No, I'll have coffee. It's black, or do you want sugar and cream?" She says, "Black." And he brings her the coffee. Now, at this point, I'm turned slightly to my left. I look away from her now, and I'm, I'm looking at a paper, and I'm reading it, and I'm drinking the coffee, see? It's obvious I'm very much aware of her, though. It's a beautiful girl sitting next to me, so I, I, I glance, and I'm drinking my coffee. And what I don't see, though, is that she's looking at me absolutely straight on, intently. And suddenly she says, it won't work. <laughs> and I say, excuse me, are you talking to me? And at this point, she's turned back to her coffee now. And she's drinking coffee, looking kind of bugged. I look at her and I go back to my coffee. <laughs> you know, in New York, what the hell? So she's uh, I'm drinking my coffee. Suddenly she looks up again and looks right at me. And again, I don't see her. See, but the audience does. She says, It's silly to even pretend that it would work. It will not work. 
point, I turned and I said, excuse me, are you talking to me? She said, I don't want to discuss it. <laughs> I says, discuss what? She says, us. I said, us? She says, you and me. It's impossible. There's no way we can ever get together. I said, wait a minute. What's wrong with me? It's not you, it's us. So, okay. I go back to my coffee. But now it's bugging me. At which point I turn and I says, no, wait a minute, you didn't even give me a chance. And, and it was what it was, was we'd gone through a whole courtship, marriage, divorce, and it's over. Beautiful. And he is crushed. <laughs> that, that, that is very, very lovely. That was a, a one and a half minute skit. It was a real hit. Uh, it was a big thing. It was in, it was in a show called uh, Small Tacular. And I think it had appeared in another review prior to that. Then there was another one, too. You, 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 uh, am I boring you? With no, no, please, continue. Uh, see, the review, we did another one. Dor that was Dorothy Love. And then there was another one where we were all four of us facing the audience, four people, myself, uh, and there was a girl sitting next to me and a guy sitting back of me, and there was a girl sitting next to him. We're facing the audience. And suddenly, you, you were just looking out at the audience, and we all have this, this look of, of curious look of, of vague, mask-like uh, trepidation. Just, we're not really scared, but we're just sort of grim. And the voice says, Are you please fasten your seatbelts? We'll be landing at LaGuardia in about maybe two and a half minutes. Whatever it is, we're in the airplane. And at that point, uh, I'm sitting there looking for Kind of look suave, and I put the seatbelt on, sitting, sitting, looking out, and I'm looking out over Queens, and the girl is looking out over Queens, see. And suddenly so the guy behind me moves forward, and he says, "Grab her, buddy." <laughs> and I pay no attention. See, I'm looking out, I'm looking out over Queens, and the girl. Leans forward and says to to Dorothy, Curly's voice is up. This guy's never going to make a pass. If you're going to get anywhere with him, you better make the first move. And she pays no attention. She just keeps looking out. And next, I'm, I, I'm looking, and all of a sudden you hear something roars, I'm putting the flaps down. And the, the guy behind me leans forward and says, My God, we're going to crash. We're all going to be dead. We're going to die. This is it. I look absolutely enigmatic. I never say a word. I just sort of look. And at that minute, the girl's behind Dorothy leans forward and says, What was that noise? I think we're going to crash. We're going down. And she turns to me and says, Huh? 
Excuse me, do you have the time? And I say, uh, oh, uh, did you speak to me? She says, yes, do you have the time? Well, uh, yes, it's uh, ten after three. And the girl's behind her immediately says, quick now, make your move. And what the audience now begins to see is that this is our inner selves behind us. It's not at all us. And he's playing very well. He says, there's nothing to fear, you know. I'm me. I used to be a jet pilot. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and this guy keeps going, look out, look out. She may know something about flight. <laughs> 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 it's to be a jet pilot, you know. They're putting down the frame of stairs. No problem at all. It's just a normal routine. All of a sudden, you're... Another thing. She said, what was that? What was that? Oh, well, uh, he's just my... He goes, this is it. You're going to die in a minute now. You might as well. It's all over. I told you not to take this damn trip. And he went back. And, and all the way down. And they finally land. And they get up. And now the two people have disappeared completely. You mean the, the, the inner thoughts? The inner thoughts are gone. And right. she, she takes her coat and leaves. He takes his coat and they leave. And they never make it. It's just one of those brief, momentary things. Brief encounter. Yeah, it was a beautifully written sketch. Uh, oh, but that's that's the kind of reviews that they that they used to have here in town, and it's not that long ago, about '65, '66, and uh, all kinds of little psychological vignettes. And that was in the review called Small Tacular. I wonder if anybody listening saw it. Well, we're going to take some calls in just a moment, and we'll find out if we have some. Uh, <laughs> listeners that uh, remember some of those things that we've been talking about with Gene uh, Shepard. My name, Long John Neville. I'm Candy Jones. And we are back here again. We're going to be taking calls on 489-1155. Gene Shepard's new book, or I should say his hardcover book that was on the bestsellers list for some 17 weeks, is titled Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters, and it's published by Dell. It's in paperback now, and you've been listening to Gene, so you can imagine how great the book is after listening to Gene all night long. He's a great, great storyteller. In fact, he was four-time winner of the Playboy Humor and Satire Award. Gene and I worked together at uh, WOR for a number of years. I guess uh, we were there about ten years together. And uh, Gene has always been a very good friend, and every time he has the time to spare, we invite him on to the show because we feel that you'll get a great kick out of hearing Gene Shepard. Uh, I would also like to remind you that uh, on Saturday night, Cy Oliver will be with us, arranger, composer, musician, and orchestra leader who is now appearing at the Royal Box. And you better call Ed Wynn and make reservations because when Cy Oliver appears any place, they're going to be jammed. And we'll also have Jack Riley, who teaches jazz piano at the New School, and Donald Bain, former friend of mine, who's now an acquaintance. He's an author and a very fine musician, plays vibes, drums, and a uh, small amount of piano. And he's a very talented man, a great writer, and he has done the biography of Long John Neville. I've had an opportunity of reading the manuscript, and that's why he is an acquaintance, no longer a friend. It's to be published by Macmillan in uh, September, and uh, I think September is the publication date. And this is not a commercial, because uh, if you don't buy it, it's just as well. I don't think you'll find it to be too interesting, although the people that have read it... Incidentally, the man who wrote the introduction for it, Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason called Macmillan and said he'd like to write the introduction. He had read that a book was being written about Long John Neville, and I'm very proud of that. I've had an opportunity of reading it. It's an eight-page introduction, and it's a beautiful introduction. I would have hoped that he would have saved it for the eulogy 
And uh, we don't know when that's going to come about, so he couldn't wait, and he wanted to write it and get it across. I've always admired uh, Jackie Gleason, by the way. Great talent. Yeah. Uh, great, great talent. Fascinating guy. He used to call late at night at the station. That's right. Yeah. That's Jackie. Friday night, we're going to be talking with Leonard Sloan of the business news staff of the New York Times about the great merchants, the people who built America's foremost retail institutions, department stores, discount houses, mail-order houses, supermarkets, and how they did it. And on Sunday night, Cyril Weck, Dr. Cyril Weck, he and uh, Dr. Noguchi performed the autopsy on uh, Senator Robert Kennedy and uh, also Dr. Cyril H. Weck, the forensic pathologist, uh, had the opportunity of going through the archives uh, that contained the uh, uh, material from the autopsy that was done on uh, John F. Kennedy and he feels that it was a conspiracy. It was not Oswald alone by any means, shape, or form. Now, that's his opinion. We'll also have Alan Cornett with us. And so we've got some good shows in store for you, and we hope that you'll tell your friends and neighbors about them. And I was hoping that Candy would be back by now. She just stepped out of the studio for a couple of minutes so that uh, she could hear the difference between the high school horses and the Liberty horses. So I think we'll have to take our first call right now. And uh, let's uh, put this equipment on. You've got the cans there for just a moment. I hope that our first listener okay. will be patient because I forgot to prepare myself by getting this ready, and we'll try to get it ready. Yeah, everything plugged in here. You can, yeah. And so we'll take these calls on 489-1155, 489-1155. All right. Hello. That's been bothering me for the last hour or so. Um, the difference really between a high school horse and a liberty horse is that the high school horse will perform with a rider on it. Yes. And the rider will cue it for these various fancy steps or maneuvers. Mm -hmm. The Liberty Horse performs alone, in other words, without a rider. They'll come in in groups of six or eight. Mm -hmm. And the trainer will work the whole act mm -hmm. from the center of the ring. The horses are, are cued by the whip or by his voice mm -hmm. to turn and wheel and reel up and uh, do these things. Mm -hmm. Are you a horsewoman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, May I ask you a question? Uh, what about those horses that Candy mentioned on the island off of Virginia? Well, the, the ponies. They're ponies, actually. Then what's the difference between a pony and a horse? That is open to a lot of argument. Anything smaller than 14 two is called pony. 14 hands two something. What's the two? Two inches. <laughs> well, what are they called? Uh, well, they live on the island of Assateague. Uh-huh. But they're actually called Chincoteague ponies. What are they called? Chincoteague ponies. Chincoteague. Mm-hmm. And uh -huh. they send them over to uh, Chincoteague once a year. I think they sell the parts, and then they turn the, the adults back. Mm -hmm. they're good, when you get them young enough, they're very good kids' ponies. They're very tiny. How many of them uh, are, are on this island? See, I don't know. I really don't. Not all that many, though. They're, but they're beautiful, aren't they? Oh, no. Yeah, they're, they're protected by the government. Well, it's good to hear that uh, there are some horse people out there, right, John? Yes, and uh, th did you hear it, Candy? Candy did hear it. She was in uh, one of the other studios for a moment, so she heard the comments. Well, we thank you very, very much. Uh, have you ever heard Mr. Shepard prior to tonight? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you think he's a talented man? He certainly does. He's you a good do. rider, too. What's that? He's a good rider. Is he really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he really is. He knows what he's doing. I've seen him ride. He's got more out of a horse. I don't mean abuse it, but I mean really, really make it work. Well, I, I hit him on the head with a hammer. That's oh, move. don't. <laughs> you have a tendency to do everything at a dead run, but the horse seems to enjoy it. Well, thanks well, for calling, Lee. Thank you. <laughs> Is this Lee? That's Lee. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. Good show. Great show. I'm really enjoying it. Well, thank you very much. This is uh, Gene Shepard's producer who we're talking to. And uh, did you have a question or anything to ask, Candy? No. Um, 
Hello, Lee. I was listening to Let you. Let me get over to your seat. Go ahead. Okay. Wait a moment, Lee. Candy, Candy coming back. Candy. You heard those heavy hoofs. Um, wait till I just put my ear things in. Hi there. Hi, uh, Brian, I was listening to you. I was in the newsroom because at this time I always go in to pick up the uh, weather report, as a matter of fact, and I was very interested in what you had to say. And what was the name of the uh, island? I know you said it begins with C, and I still can't... Pink Peak. Ah, that's it. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. If not, you'll get a call. So I'm sure we will. Well, we've heard very good things about you. Thanks. And I'm glad to know the difference between the two types of horses. Okay. Thanks, Thanks for very much, Lee. Okay. So long, Lee. Bye-bye. Hi there. You're on the air. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, I think Gene Yes, go right ahead. Gene is listening. Uh, you know, I have to take a flight up uh, you know, day after tomorrow. And like, I fly five times, and I am so scared. But, I mean, if you fly all over the country, I'm candy. If uh, you have any fears... Well, I'm a pilot myself, and I own an airplane, so I would not be one to tell you about fears, but don't worry about it. Uh, you know, you, you statistically, uh, you're far safer in uh, in a, an airplane than you are in a car, believe it or not. But, uh, but for uh, every mile flown, uh, let's put it this way, mile for mile, you're far safer in an airplane than you are in a car. Well, I live by 10 in the airport. Come over all the time. Well, yeah, but uh, and, you know, they never come down. No, don't don't worry about it. Just uh, just go in there and sit down and uh, order your drink, and the next thing you know, you're going to be in Oshkosh. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you, sir. Nice to talk to you. Candy, do you want to take some? Sure. All right. Harlow Wilcox. Harlow Wilcox. You remember that name? Uh, yeah, the name. Uh, he was an announcer. I, I don't know why. It just suddenly. Well, when did you think of him? Well, because my real name was Wilcox, and Pierre Andre and Andre Baruch, and I'm flipping back about three or four hours ago when we had been talking about Little Orphan Annie Society and the famed um, announcers of that period, Truman Bradley. Vincent Pelletier. Yes, yeah. <laughs> hey, is there anybody else out there? Uh... Now, what are you doing? You're plugging in the thing I'm there? Yeah, here we go. In, uh, okay, let's see go. if there's an audience there. Good morning. You're on WMCA. Good morning, Candy. Hi. Good morning, John, and good morning, Judy. Hi. Thank you ever so much for three of you for the most rewarding and enjoyable program. I hope you say this place and play it, you know, over and over again, maybe on a couple of Sunday evenings. Absolutely marvelous. I know we will play it again. Yes. <laughs> I have followed this talented wild man, Gene Shepard, uh, long before John came on the air. And what uh, a W.O.R. They're having six these time schedules, you know, and John moving about, and you, Candy, having joined the group. Uh, it, it's getting better year by year. Well, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you ever so much. <laughs> and thank you for calling. Enormously. Thank you. Uh, the temperature, by the way, 38 degrees, humidity 70%, barometer 29.97 inches and falling. The wind south at a gentle 6 miles per hour, and the wind and the weather in Central Park is quite fair. We'll take another call. Good morning. You're on WMCA. Hey, Candy. How you like married life without sex? Good morning. You're on WMCA. Hello, 489-1155. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Is this WMCA? Yes, it is. You're on the air. Fine. Uh, Miss Jones? Yes. And Mr. Neville, uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, I'm a Harlow Wilcox fan, too. Very good. And uh, just recently, uh, the Fiddler McGee and Molly show, which is the one thing I know he used to do, uh, is broadcast over uh, W... Uh, I'm trying to think of the station. WRVR on their festival of old radio. Sometimes it's on Tuesday, sometimes on Thursday. Oh. And uh, the recordings come through as if it were just the original. They uh, give uh -huh. different uh, commercials. Well, that's very interesting. I thank you very much for calling. No Johnson's Wax. They're current commercials, but uh, the show is exactly the same. I see. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Bye.
Bye. Good morning, you're on W1CA. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning. Uh, it's, uh... Yes, he is. <laughs> Go right ahead. Uh, I want to say to you, Shepard, Excelsior. Well, I can only say Seltzer bottle, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know where to get your record. Uh, now, there are several records I've had. Uh, the most recent is a Mercury recording. Mercury. Uh, called, uh the declassified Gene Shepard, and the only place that I know that they had it recently was at the King Carroll record shop on the, right there on Times Square. King Carroll? Yeah. Did uh, you play another record? Yeah, I, uh, probably the most successful record I had was the one called, uh, uh, the, uh, Will Failure Spoil Gene Shepard. <laughs> oh. And, uh, that was cut by Electra, released by Electra Records. Electra. And I'm not sure that you can get that. I see. I've written to about the other one, and I get no response. Well, that's Mercury, yes. That's now typical. Now, tell me this. Are, you, are your sketches for sale anywhere? My sketches? Well, uh, the only place that my drawings are really for sale, I guess, are in, uh, uh, the Ferrari in the Bedroom, the most recent book that I had. Which yeah, had, they're great. You like the sketches? Oh, they're great. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, very few critics even mention them, and it kind of bothered me because I spent a lot of time doing them. I would think so. Adam, we happen to have one. We have one framed on the wall of the plaza. Yeah. So lucky. Yeah. I bought so many of the books for my uh, nephews in college, and they're all crazy about the sketches. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that because as a drawer, and I've been drawing all my life, I... I uh, used to do, uh, a lot of those drawings, by the way, originally appeared in the Village Voice. I uh, uh -huh. I did, uh, at one time, a lot of drawings for the Village Voice, and uh, I've, I've done some illustrations. Oh, they're really fine. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for right. calling, Adam. All right, let me tell Long John that I you still have the sheep's eggs. Oh, good. Well, I'll certainly tell him that. Thank you for telling us. <laughs> thank you. It's 4.52 in the morning. Sure is. <laughs> Good morning. You're on WMCA. Jean Shepard is right here. Hello, Candy. Yes. How are you? Well, thank this you. Is this the lady who sent you the flowers and me? Oh, how very nice of you. I hope I, that you... I tell you, some friends of mine called me and told me that you spoke about it. I'm sorry I didn't hear it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, we did. And I, again, thank you so, so kindly for your very beautiful bouquet. That's right. I just want to tell you, I, I've been laughing all night. I think the show is so terrific. I just had to call well, you. You tell that to Gene Shepard. He's listening to yeah. you. I know. He's very nice. I've been listening, used to listen to him quite a long time. Well, and I, I think that you certainly will want to get a copy of his uh, latest paperback, Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters. You know, it's published by Dell. Yes, I will. Just it. out. I'm sure you'll like it. Is Long John there? He's out of the studio at the moment. He'll be coming back soon. Well, tell him that Hattie said hello. I certainly will. Okay, good night, Kate. Good night. Thank you. Good morning. You're on WMCA. Good morning, Candy. I'd like to speak to Jean Shepard, please. Uh, speaking. Hi. Hi. Been a sign of yours for years. Well, no. No, it's that you were talking about. Yeah. I think I saw the Montoya within the past two years. Did you say they were written by Woody Allen? No, I did not say that. Oh, I thought you did. I know no. you said that you were with him. No, I said that Woody Allen had written some of the sketches that were in this review, but I don't, I, he didn't write those two. Not those. I don't know where I could swear I saw the well, maybe you saw maybe you saw the uh, the review that I was in. I don't recall it. No, I don't think so. This is a uh, I've been uh, seated in an airplane. Well, there's been a lot of sketches written about airplanes. Well, it seems to be the exact same wording. Look, there's something I want to ask you. Yeah. You used to talk about warm meadows. No, I didn't. I've never. Where did you get that? Didn't you even write about them in, uh, in God Be Trust? No. Uh -uh. I swear you did when you were talking about the little candies. Uh-uh. Well, okay, <laughs> thank you very much for calling. You. Well, Good morning, I'm you're on WMCA. Remember them, don't you? Hello. Hello. Uh, you're on the air. Yeah, you're on the uh, air. Did anybody call up to give the name of Bud Freeman? 
I, I thought of it later. It was Bud Freeman. That's who you, uh, we were talking about. You're right, sir. Uh, also, as a, as a long-time saxophone player, may I be allowed to correct you on something? A melody and a, and a soprano sax. Are two different saxophones. Right. You're right. The C melody's in between the That's right. And the They're right. the most difficult to keep in tune. Uh, yeah, well, the C melody is difficult to keep in tune because it is really a bastard saxophone to begin with. That's what we meant. And the, uh... You just put it more bluntly. And the, so is the, uh, soprano. The current soprano is the one that's really terrible. Well, that's what Wilbur plays. Yeah, right. Yeah. That one is impossible. And that's what the, uh, uh, Bechet played, too. No, Bechet played the skate. No, he also played the... Oh, he played the period. The, that's the right, because yeah. the man who owns it today is Wilbur. Yeah, right. That's, uh, that soprano's at least 45 years old. And it's even a terrible instrument to listen to. Well, no one has done... <laughs> very few people have ever done it well. That's true. Hodges, Bechet... It's like your bagpipes. Yeah, right. If you could name it on one hand, the people would have been able to play that thing. And did you did you hear Gene do the head thumping? Yeah, yeah, I listened to his head thumping for oh, 20 years. Well, you got to admit, I got a beat, man. Yeah, 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 your head thumping has come along for years. That's right. Uh, we artists mature. That's <laughs> what I'll try to go to. Thank right. you. Thank you. Okay. F-A-E-M-A-R-T. Feymart. That's the word. That's the name. And Feymart is convenient. International cooker. Buy wherever. Well, you've heard the discussion. My name, Long John Neville. 